0: You're listening to Red Nation Online. Hey, Eastside stand-up listener. As always, we appreciate you downloading the podcast and want to ask you a quick favor. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you checked out rednationonline.ca, added us on Twitter, at Red Nation Online. Give us the thumbs up on Facebook, as well as iTunes. Any or all of those would be awesome. Thanks so much and enjoy another episode of East Side Stand-Up.
1: Here goes McGee, drives it off the wall.
0: 19. It's EMB Sports, Aaron Nielsen, and i Mian Clark, and there are no spoilers tonight. Toronto FC were down 1-0 by the Chicago Fire, and we need to wait one more week to ruin a team's playoff aspirations. Yes, it was an absolutely brutal handball call on Jonathan Osorio, and another embarrassing referee display that keeps MLS from reaching its goal of being a top league worldwide. However, we are focusing on TFC, and how we got to this point in the season with nothing left to play for. We're asking important questions that need to be addressed going into 2014. Have we improved at all this season? Are two DP strikers the answer? Is a managerial change, perhaps one currently in Egypt, the answer? We begin the discussion of who should stay or go and finish for the prediction on the last game of 2013. That is thankfully almost over. All in the next 45 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. We're not back, real game, uh, an interesting night, finding finding this stream, finding this telecast, all that stuff. I guess this is the case where uh, when Toronto sees sitting pretty much at the bottom of the table and uh, you want to go out and watch the game and uh, kind of play second fiddle to the Leafs in the UFC. Uh, that's where I was tonight, and I had to race home and catch this online. And Aaron, you, you said before, Well, it might be interesting checking out this game on a stream to hear the American perspective of it. But I found uh, pretty quickly I had to mute it.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. When you do get a chance to listen to the American telecast, it does give, you know, there's always this criticism of the MLS being minor leagues, But, well, I always get that a lot of the American broadcasters seem very minor leagues, right? They start talking about you know, 90 year old women who are watching the game on their deathbed tonight and stuff like that. So, um, but you know, you got to work your way up somewhere. And so I think that's the main reason behind it. But
0: Yeah. I found that uh, I had, I had to put it on mute and in the background, uh, my wife's watching food TV. So I had Alton Brown and uh cutthroat kitchen pretty much oh, uh, commentating <laughs> the game for me. And that was a little more entertaining. I have to say, than this <laughs> the, the duo out of Chicago rolling into this game. I was thinking, or one of my thoughts actually, Aaron, I think where we're all at right now with Toronto FC at the end of this season, and I think I missed an opportunity last game against Philadelphia to really touch on this topic that I think I kind of wanted to start this off with and lead into this game with, uh, and that is, you know, it's been it's been two weeks since they played uh, the Union, which it it feels like it's been a month almost actually since we've seen them play. It was interesting, especially that fixture, because it kind of represented uh, the first time they played in Philadelphia, which was in April, and then the second time they played in Philadelphia, which is towards the end of the season at the end of October, and opens a bit of a discussion on how far has this team come through the 2013 season? What kind of progress have we seen, if anything? And of course, we see that the result was this time, after two times facing Philadelphia with a 1 1 draw. They end out of there with a 1 0 loss. And so the question I would say to you, Aaron, is Has this team actually gotten any better through 2013?
1: Well, I think that's a great question because I think it also relates to tonight's game. And it does show some of the um, major issues involved with the team. Um, I think player for player, there might be some improvements, you know, or more, I would say less probably improvements and more replacements. So, you know, you had a day before and now you have Caldwell who are basically one for one kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a very good question.
0: And I, and I think, you know, when we're looking at this Chicago game and, of course, looking at this this one nil loss, there's going to be a lot of things that people are going to going to discuss. Uh, obviously, there was a, you know, a, a bit of a controversial call uh, that gave Chicago the win. Yeah, I disagree with that, but. I, I don't, I would be surprised if how many people actually <laughs> agree with that call. I mean, I have the rule right in front of me here and it's, I don't know how, how any way you cut it. Uh, that should have been called a penalty. And then of course there's, you know, in the midst of this playoff race with Chicago, New England, Philadelphia and Montreal, sort of how Chicago gets in. And I think the overriding thing that I think we can discuss through this match, Aaron, is of course, you know, I don't think Chicago looks very good. Uh, you, sure. take, you take Mike McGee out of the question, and they're, I would say, an average to a below average team. But then, when you put Toronto C into the equation as well, obviously that's our main topic of discussion. And I still feel like there's a lot of questions. This was, I wouldn't say, this was a good performance from Toronto this evening.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I thought that. Uh, well, I thought, to be honest with you, I've, I've. Um, you know, I've watched um, maybe about two-thirds to three-fourths of Toronto's games this year, and this was, to me, was a typical Toronto performance. Their, their plays are always incredibly static, and they play to their opponent. So I think if their opponent gives them opportunities or their opponent puts them under pressure, you see them excel better, where if the opponent has um, concerns or has
0: difficulties, then it this ends
1: up being a very slow game.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's something I was trying to touch on just before Aaron in terms of saying, you know, where does his team come through the season? And I think if <laughs> we could have said that back in April, sure, uh, I don't think that's any different. And I think that's going to lead into uh, more <laughs> of what we're going to talk about today, and that's of course uh, the the coaching. Has the coaching evolved through the season? You know, Nelson Ryan Nelson is a guy who. Like a Jonathan Osorio, or like a Joe Bendick, or like a Daniel Henry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is a rookie, so to speak, and you would expect growth over a campaign. Sure. And I think there's a question on whether or not we've seen that happen or not. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the other interesting thing is, and, and again, I haven't had a chance to watch many Chicago games, but this is a team who started the season. You know, uh, a bit better in Toronto, but almost as bad as Toronto. I think at one point there were five wins, five draws, and eleven losses, and actually turned around the season. And I think with today's win, they either came close to clinching a playoff or they need a draw in the final week of the season to gain a playoff. So it's interesting that although they're not a great team, um, they did find ways of improving throughout the season. Whereas you, as I agree with you, Toronto hasn't done that. You know, reality is, is Toronto's probably, record-wise, Toronto's probably a worse team than it was the first few weeks of the season. Because what we have to remember with the first few weeks of the season is a lot of those games were a lot closer than the final results would say. They lost a lot of games in the final minute. um, And, uh, you know, so they could have had more points in those games. Where more recently, maybe the last two or three months outside of the game against D.C., you know, I thought for today's game, even though they lost one nothing, even though the goal was controversial, I never really saw a Toronto in the game. I thought they could have got a lucky goal with the rebound off the free kick. But other than that, they didn't really do a lot in today's game to show me that they're a potentially a good
0: team. It reminds me of, uh, I think it was this past week, you know, we saw the, the, there was an article out there floating around about how Steve Caldwell has been such a, you know, a good influence for Toronto on the back line. Mm -hmm. And amongst that, I saw on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but they sort of tweeted the stats of Toronto's, you know, goals for and against or goal difference before he arrived and since. But the thing was, you know, when, if you average that, if the games, like obviously Steve Caldwell has been here for more of the games in that first part of the season, sure, but they actually aren't that different.
1: Yeah. I would imagine that. would be Right.
0: Like they're actually pretty close. Uh, in terms of that. So, I mean, that just touches on what you were saying, that Toronto isn't... This year, although they've been terrible in the standings, I mean, it hasn't been as painful as last year where they were just awful in terms of, you know, losing games 3-0, losing mm. games 5-0. Uh, you know, they didn't go to New York Red Bulls and lose 5 nothing this year, but you still never really felt like they were out there and they were going to win a game. But if we roll into this game... Aaron, I think there's still tons to talk about because of course, kind of even just staying on the theme of what we've been discussing about, you know, what this team is up to, what Ryan Nelson is trying to do down this final stretch, you know, I'm looking at this starting lineup and there's some pretty interesting things and some I think some discussion that we can have about the choices that he's made. And obviously a guy that a lot of people were talking about today and through the week was Stefan Fry.
1: Yeah.
0: Stefan Fry is a you know a guy who I've really liked. From the get go, uh, I thought he's been a, a pretty good servant and a pretty good, pretty good keeper for Toronto. I would say, I would say he's at MLS level starter, starter ability. And with that, of course, comes the question of, uh, you know, when someone like a Joe Bennett comes in and, and has roughly the same attributes at one quarter of the cost, uh, you know, what are you going to do about that?
1: Well, I thought, I thought the interesting thing about today's game and the last game you and I saw together was the game against New York. Was how Frey dominated his box, and he didn't force the defenders to make uh, clearances from within his, you know, within his positions where he stands within the six-yard box, and that certainly gives your team greater opportunities and greater and less risk of screwing up and allowing plays to happen. So, in terms of watching the game, I thought Frey's performance today was far more dominating than I ever saw Bendik play. Um, the question is, of course, is this Frey's getting 200 grand a year and Bendick is, you know, Bendick's on a rookie or a minimal salary this year. So wasn't even counting against the cap. And so how valuable is a goalkeeper to you? Now, reality is, is I think Frey understands his value of 200K isn't, um, you know, he's not going to get that within this league. So if he's able to accept a lower fee, I think Toronto should even consider keeping him for next year.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's uh, you know maybe worth considering or worth discussing because when you look at sort of you know I, I wanted to maybe even compare Stefan Fry to Richard Eckersley, and I think that's kind of it's kind of interesting that I think though what I, what I was kind of getting at I don't know if you want to, if you you know want to touch on it but I you know I was just kind of rectify. And we can talk about maybe Ryan Nelson and his strategy in a game like this, when you have uh, you know a ba- essentially a backup right back starting over someone like Richard Eckersley, yet you're allowing Stefan Fry to start. I'm just trying to resolve that in my head. You know what's you know what was the point of that? If if you're going to put out your best player, then why aren't you putting out all your best players? Or if you're going to let a guy kind of get some minutes in his time in. Why Why is someone like Stefan Fry, who's essentially on the outs, uh, getting in on a game like this?
1: Well, yeah, I agree with you totally. I think one of the issues, and this has always been an issue from what I gather with Toronto FC and certainly this season, is they read their press clippings too much. And it's interesting now, as we come to the end of the season, it's all about seller cap and how much money we spent and... We cannot spend a goal, or we cannot pay a goalkeeper this much. We cannot pay a defender this much, and it seems that they're believing that way too much. And the irony for me is, okay, you have Eckersley on your team, you're paying him three hundred thousand bucks, which is way too much. But why would you not play your best player? You know, first of all, you want your team to be successful, and there's other players who you're developing on in the same lineup. And second of all, to your fans, to people watching the game. But you want to see the best team on the pitch. I understand this notion of, okay, let's play the subs, let's play these guys who are going to be around for next season. But as you said, then commit to it. You know, like when and I know they had the US Open Cup final, but we saw the roster that or the lineup that DC United was willing to put on the pitch to play against us. And and it seems like, yeah, it's well, a great example tonight was the last two substitutions. Weederman and Braun, right? Well, we've had this talk about Welshman, you know, he's not good enough or he is good enough or it was a waste of a draft pick. us seen him play, <laughs> right? Like tonight, you know, you're down, you know, right after uh, McGee scored the goal. Why don't you put him on, right? He certainly has a lot to prove. And if he's that bad, then we can show the world he's that bad. And then there won't be any questioning of, about being on the team. And, you know, the one good thing, and, and, you know, like he wasn't perfect by any means, but I thought Becker had a strong game today, and I think one of the reasons he had a strong game is it seemed he was motivated to prove that he's, you know, that he should have been playing. I find that to be, personally, I find that to be the most confusing side of Toronto FC, in terms of you would assume if you are a team in this much, with this many issues, is that you would try as many things as possible to see if there's any corrections that you can make. And one of my, one of my uh, concerns going into the future is even if they bring a number of players in who are potentially better than the players on the current team, are they able to, are they going to be able to adapt them into a team that's going to be able to win? Nelson's inability to make any changes during a game or from game to game is a great concern going into next season for myself.
0: In running through this game, I don't think I don't think I want to follow the format, Aaron. That I you know we usually do in terms of like really breaking down the minutes. Okay. But just because we know, I and mean, we know how this game plays out, and it really is, and we kind of laid it up in terms of our impressions of both teams, you know. So sort to of go through some things, which was like, yeah, you know, what Stefan Fry made some some nice saves on their early going, and there was a little bit of back and forth. Uh, you know, Chicago had some great chances on goal and hit the woodwork, and of course we circle back to, of course that really suspect calls from the referee around the, you know, the 60th, the 65th minute that led to the penalty kick. Sure. And I think what I maybe want to touch on at that point, what I thought was kind of interesting, because of course, you know, I'm watching this from home and I'm on Twitter and all of a sudden there was actually a pretty, someone had a little debate because all of a sudden they were everyone after that goal, they're saying, you know, Mike McGee for, for MVP, which to my thought was, this is what spurred on an MVP talk, like a, a very dubious call from a referee and he scores on a penalty kick. Mm. Uh, and you compare that to, say, uh, Marco Devaio, who, if I'm not mistaken, has scored about 20 goals, none of which were from the penalty spot. Sure, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, could you argue Montreal's maybe a bit more better team and Chicago, as we saw, I wasn't very impressed with them, especially even though the fact they're at home tonight. Uh, you know, how does what does that say about these two players, you know, what does that say about, you know, a lot of things in terms of MLS and the caliber of players that we're discussing?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I do think there's question marks with Chicago. I think the biggest question mark with Chicago is since um, they had Blanco on the team, they have had, they've been scared to hire a, lar- uh, a high price DP. So they've hired these sort of low end, middle end DPs like Alex, and there's a couple of new ones that are playing Rios and uh, a couple ones are playing tonight. Um, and so and that's what lacks from them comparable to other teams in the league. Um, I think player for player, you know, I think Noarco, I think uh, McGee, I think Barry uh, Johnson or keeper. I think they do have key components for a good team in the MLS. They just don't have, you know, they they are primarily MLS players. And I think that that's the question regarding their team. Reality is, is if you compare where they are compared to where Toronto is, it shows you that even a, um, you know, even a medium range MLS team can be competitive in this league and make the playoffs on a consistent basis.
0: So let me let me ask you, and maybe, you know, this is obviously something that we could save for the end, but, since we're on it, we might as well just discuss it sure. you now. You know, what is the difference between Chicago and Toronto then? where you know, What is that difference between a team who's on the cusp of the playoffs that may or may not make it, but at least you could say the majority of the season they're probably competitively, competitively in a game,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whereas Toronto is in that sort of bottom three or four echelon of the league where it's like they might be in the game, but rarely are they in it for the full 90 minutes.
1: Well, in my opinion, it's based on what you expect from each player. And I would say that Chicago has at least five or six players that you have a certain expectation from, and you can develop the rest of the team around those five or six key players. Um, I think the issue with Toronto is that there's a lack of consistency in in each player. I think um, you know, I think Caldwell has some decent consistency, I think uh, D.K. has has proved that he might potentially have that sort of reliability. But the, re, the other players go in and out on a daily basis. And reality is, and this, doesn't, this is not only true with the MLS, but with most football around the world and most soccer around the world, um, consistent performances is what provides consistent results.
0: Yeah, you know what? Now that I think of it, and I th- I'm sure I've said it before, I- I've always found toronto to be a team and i'm like thinking back to sort of that 2009 or 2010 team and they're always a team or they've been a team where it's been three or four you know top players so you have like a fry a di rosario and in 2010 you know you could maybe combine adrian cannon and a sure. but to be a top half team it's like and, and then the rest the rest of your players are struggling on a regular basis and to be a top-shelf team it's like you have to flip that around it has to be two or three guys who aren't totally consistent with the rest of the team you know on a, on a week-in week-out basis putting in those kind of performances yeah
1: exa- exactly exactly and, and I do think I do think there's two traditional systems within the MLS one is the one where you try to get as many consistent players as possible and the other one is you have two or three or, or dominant players who can change a game on their own performance. And that is what New York tries to do. In some ways, that's what L.A. is trying to do. But even if you go through those teams, you can find players who are consistent performers within each position. And, and as I said, that's, you know, especially the current Toronto team. Now, part of that is it's a very young team, and you don't know potentially what these players are going to be in the future. A good example today, and, and I only mentioned this because basically according to the MLS, they're on the same salary, is the difference between McGee and Ray, right? When you watch tonight's game you know, on television, or even if you're at the game live, you can see McGee being a dominant performer or a noticeable player throughout the game, where Ray has certain skill sets, but for most of the game, you know, he was completely irrelevant or completely disappeared. And you can't have your highest paid players disappearing from the game. They have to be the most dominant players in the game, especially at this level of, of, of play.
0: I, I would say my issue uh, you know, with, the, with the Ray signing, if we, if we want to touch on that, and of course you're comparing with Mike McGee. I mean, you have Mike McGee who's making that money, but in an extent, I mean, he's a proven MLS commodity. Yeah. You know, he hasn't scored this amount of goals before, but for a couple of years, we've known that you know, if you're in the playoffs, you want Mike McGee on the field. Sure. That that's something that's that's been pretty much established. Now, when you're looking at someone like Alvaro Rey, and and you know, you and I have sort of talked, you know, off the pod, and how some people uh, have this belief that uh, that Kevin Payne sort of cleaned up our salary. Yet, to me, the the Alvaro Rey signing is a bit of a, of a blot on that because it's just not consistent to me. Assigning uh, you know a midfielder. Uh, outside of North America for $200,000 that would did anyone know who he was before yeah. he came on trial? Yeah. And and the, and the precedent that's been set in MLS is that you can find MLS quality midfielders in Central and South America for $50,000. Sure. And once they've proven themselves, like a Marvin Chavez or a more Rosales, then they get that pay bump. Yeah. They did, They didn't well, get it off the hop. They well, earned it by proving that they could cut it in this league, yet we've signed a guy at $200,000 that has yet to do that, and from what I've seen, I mean, his best performance was against DC, yeah. and all that tells me is that he would do really well in the NASL.
1: Okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I think one of the things, and this is in my most recent article that I read on RNO, is what you have to understand is 200K is the top 20% of paid players in this league. reality is if you follow ml mls at any level you know fairly closely you should be able to name or in any league right if if i was to name the top 20 percent of players in hockey baseball football they would come off your tongue right and the reality is if you follow the mls closely most players in the 200 plus 200k plus range come off your tongue you know who they are now there is some exceptions in where dps are brought in or player foreign players are brought in who don't have necessarily people in the MLS are not very knowledgeable about. But most of these players do have some sort of background in their league, wherever they're like an Earnshaw. And Earnshaw makes actually less than 200k, but at least he has some background going on in England previously. And the, the, the interesting thing about Ray is, is I purely think I don't know how his contract came into place, but I think he was purely brought in based on a skill set that they thought they could develop, opposed to a track record that says that this player is worth this amount of money. And the the argument could be also said that that was the same case with Yerudi, right, because Yerudi, you know, as we had talked previously and we've written about previously, was primarily a a bench player within Argentina. So reality is, is, is MLS scouting and MLS teams would not have much video or much information about this player and probably had a 10-minute video clip and said, oh, if we can develop this talent into something amazing, he could be a star in this league. And I think that's way too much of a risk in MLS, to, to you know, especially in a salary cap system, to put 200K on a player who you don't know what you're going to get from.
0: Yeah, and I think I would also contribute to those two players as well. I mean, the impression I got at the time of their signings was that I felt like Toronto was in a bit of a panic mode and that they were probably feeling some pressure and some desperation to make a move midsummer when they mm-hmm. knew that uh, Jeremy Brokey was leaving. They'd already given up on, on John Bostock and Hogan Ephraim. Uh, there was gaps that were starting to form, and these were the only guys that were around. Sure. These were the only guys that were on the and, list.
1: And, and, you know, the reality, you know, some irony in this for tonight's game was the only reason McGee went to Chicago is that L.A. wanted to sign Rodgers right? When the L.A. signed Rodgers, McGee was too much, you know, McGee was basically an extra player they had that they couldn't keep on their roster. So he was available to any team. It's not like Chicago went out of their way to find McGee. It was that Chicago had cap space and was able to fill McGee in their team. So at the time, Toronto could have easily gone to the McGee route like they did with Convy, opposed to try to get players from the championship, or you know, or Ray, or, or you're ready.
0: Heading out of this match, sure. <laughs> the one no loss, and of course, with that, it keeps Chicago definitely in the picture and Toronto where they are. And it's, of course, it, everyone's talking now. It creates a really interesting matchup, of course, next weekend against Montreal because mm-hmm. Montreal now needs to win that game. But uh, I don't want to talk so much about that. What I want to talk about is kind of what you just actually touched on. A few minutes back, Aaron, in terms like that, you were saying there's sort of two approaches that teams try to take uh, of building their teams and uh, getting into some of the news and some of the things that you were hearing through the week. And one of which was, of course, uh, the trip that Tim Laiwiki and Ryan Nelson had taken abroad and the Mm -hmm. rumors that started coming out. So with that in mind, you know, it looks to be like perhaps... At least in the short term, Toronto is looking at that high-impact player rather than building from that balanced MLS core. Because we heard some names of these DPS that we might be looking at. Miroslav Klose was thrown out there. Uh, Gilardino was put out there. A couple of guys that you know we've mentioned before here on the podcast that, in a few ways, you know, kind of fit the profile of what we've heard we're looking for. Sure. But I wanted to kind of just get your thoughts on. On this approach and and of course you know are are you think two strikers is still the way to go and and is this the way that we should be building this team
1: well I would sort of uh, my view was two strikers is probably not the way to go mainly because um, you're putting a lot of eggs in certain baskets and you still have to develop play for the strikers to be useful Um, I did get a chance to watch the Montreal game today And one of the things I've noticed about now reality is, is the team itself has set them behind the vial. So 90% of any play is set up to give the vial an opportunity on net. But his determination to succeed is also noticeable. And that is my biggest concern with these DPs is number one, do they know what they're going to get into? And are they willing to, you know, take the team on their back and try to succeed with it? You know, I have... The interesting thing is, is when you mention players in Europe who fit the framework of coming here, one of the reasons that they're available in Europe is, is they probably have not shown the determination to succeed with their teams in, um, you know, with their current teams in Europe. So they're, they're, you know, they're basically a commodity or they're basically available because their teams locally don't feel that they provide an asset to them. Um, I think there's a couple of exceptions to that. Um, I know in the article that I wrote on RNO about potential DPs, I mentioned uh, Berbatov. Uh, reality is, is he would still be wanted in the EPL. So if, if Toronto made a deal for him, they would certainly have to pay him, but he might be a player who would show, you know, it's ironic me saying Berbatov show passion, but at least he'll be, a, you know, <laughs> he'll be a, a, a dominant player that a team can build themselves around. And that's the concern, right? You would have to, especially in a striker position, you'd have to bring in a player that the team itself can build itself around.
0: Another interesting article, or an interesting, I guess, tidbits that were starting to float out there in this week that I thought was quite interesting. And it was something that we dropped out there, I guess, as soon as we saw this round of African qualifying uh, Mm matchups. And as soon as I saw it, my eyes immediately went to Egypt, Ghana. And and kind of, you know, because the second that Tim Laiwiki came on the scene and he gave that interview in the Toronto Star and he kind of, we got an idea of like what his philosophy is and what his style is. As I've said many, almost every week, I've had a lot of trouble rectifying that with Ryan Nelson as the head coach of this team. Mm -hmm. And there's very few guys that I see could fit that And one of them, of course, I mean, he's coming from L.A. with a guy like Bruce Arena, who has a strong NCAA background, has a good MLS background, as well as a men's national team background. Obviously, what I'm leading into is uh, now you're starting to hear a bit more of chorus for people talking about Bob Bradley, as Mm -hmm. Egypt (laughs) looks to be uh, on an insurmountable deficit against Ghana. And now this raises the question, of course, you know, what is Tim Laiwicky's loyalty to Ryan Nelson, and is is Bob Bradley actually a legitimate choice?
1: Yeah, well, I think I think in many ways he is a legitimate choice. I think he's had success again, ironically, with Chicago in the past in the MLS. And I think I think one of the re you know, if you bring a Bradley in or you bring someone of that clout in, you're at least holding the team accountable, right? If, if he feels like one of the positions you could argue Nelson is in this season is he doesn't have the tools and the workshop to do anything on the pitch, right? So, like at the end of the game tonight, now, you know, we talked about they could have brought Welshman in, but at the end of the game tonight, you know, their only options were Weedman and uh, Braun, right? So, I'm sure Bradley, if, if that was Bradley's team, he would get certain, you know, he would get upset with management and say, hey, you know, I'm not going to coach a team with this you know quality of players you know i need something better than this we need to find something better than this um you know the only issue i have with bradley is is that he has been separated from the mls in a number of years so we i'm not sure of his knowledge of you know college players or development players or or you know or for example the academy players and stuff like that but as i said if you certainly bring in a big name you're going to be held accountable which is a great thing in terms of a fan base. The,
0: the one thing, you know, I've kind of like flip-flopped and gone back and been like, "Oh, ML- MLSE, like they're going to, you know, they're going to have to pony up." And then I I thought, "You know, I have a feeling Egypt might have a little bit more money than MLSE to throw around, perhaps, I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah, it seems yeah.
0: like it like they would have to again, if you know, we're talking about 2 DPs this year, and then they'd have to go out and get Uh, a head coach who's probably on a very serious wage as it is and wouldn't want to walk away from that unless he gets fired.
1: Yeah, and the other thing, too, with Bob Bradley is, well, a good example is tonight's game, Chicago, is his opportunities are open as well. Like, based on how the playoffs works out and how teams do, there might be additional opportunities in the MLS beyond just the Toronto drop. I'm sure Toronto might be able to pay him more but, you know, is does he want to do a rebuild or does he want to do a team that's that's more closer to, um, you know, our results and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, and I mean, that definitely raises the question of, you know, truthfully, outside of what seems to be, uh, you know, a lot of money and kind of a big shooter uh, CEO head guy like Tim Laiwiki, you know, what is, the tr- what is the attraction to coming to Toronto? Mm-hmm. I feel like as the years have gone by, and this team has just, you know, kept on descending, uh, the things that would have made this this city attractive uh, from a footballing perspective, they have become fewer and fewer as the years go by. Where it's really all it comes down to is money, in a lot of ways.
1: Sure, sure. And again, I think I think especially when we're questioning Nelson, and I do think there is. You know, I've been, I've been defending him earlier in the season, but I do see a lot of concerns with him in terms of his ability to impact a game or change a game. But one of the things to take into account is reality is, is they're looking at the, these P's for a couple of years, maybe three, maybe four years. So the reality is, is I don't think they see next season as the season that they're going to go for the championship. I think they see next season as a development, a rebuilding season And then if Nelson is the, you know, the weak link, then, you know, certainly he'll be out, you know, very quickly.
0: Yeah, I I can agree with that. I mean, I remember thinking the first year that we saw Aaron Vinter here, you know, even though we had these these DPs come in, I think if we really were honest with ourselves in 2012, I mean, I never thought I was going to start like it did. But to me, it did look like there was still going to be another year until Toronto became a legitimate contender. And I think we're in that same position now. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, when you've talked about teams that have been able to bounce back and teams that have been able to sort of, you know, Houston, for example, had a really bad year a couple years ago and was able to bounce back the next year. But these are teams and clubs that had not just, they had the infrastructure in place in a lot of areas where I think you could argue uh, Toronto has not. I'm talking about a football competent front office, sure, you know, sure. uh, you know, football first uh, culture, yeah. uh, things like that, that Toronto has lacked. And because of that, what we're stuck with here is not just rebuilding it from a player's perspective, but also rebuilding it from a club perspective. You know, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And if you, you kind of have to go through both of those at the same time. And I mean, that, that's what I remember talking about at the start of the year. So I'm just trying to be consistent. And realize and also say that, yeah, you know what? This was going to be an extremely painful year. And regardless of who, maybe who would have been the head coach, we would have been looking to next year and, and a good chunk of next year before this team actually turned a corner. Well, I
1: th- again, I think reality is this season for Toronto City was a waste of a year. Uh, but partly was that the decision was Payne and Nelson, and this is their season. I think next year... You know, like I think Lewicki, although he was considered to coming into the team before he did come into the team, I think you cannot put this season, have any responsibility on him. I think next year would be perceived as his first season. And I would compare it to the year right before or the season right before that Beckham came into L.A., where he understood that there was a bit of development needing, And now this is ironically talking about Bradley. Is this is when he brought Bruce Arena into the team, but he knew that you'd have to develop the team around this potential DP or these stars that are coming in to give your team a, a fighting chance within the season and the playoff. And and one, one thing to one thing that you know, if you don't know MLS history, the year that David Beckham came into the MLS, Los Angeles Galaxy actually finished last place at the end of the year
0: yeah but you know what I wanted to touch on that too though was I mean when the, when one of the reasons Bruce Arena came in, if I'm not mistaken was because of who he was, uh, they sure. knew he was a guy that could manage egos and attitudes and players
1: mm-hmm. and this
0: is this is something that I am a little concerned with and I've, I've noted before where if we go out let's say again I've men- I mentioned in the context of Diego Forlan sure. but let's say we go out and get a Burbatov. Or let's say we get out, go out and get whatever, like a Samuel Eto, some top shelf, you know, Mm -hmm. world name striker. And they step on the field and you have someone like, let's say it's Samuel Eto who's spent the year with Jose Mourinho. And now he comes and he has a practice being run by Ryan Nelson.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. How is he, how is he,
0: or or if, or if Ryan Nelson tears a strip off him, how is that going to go down?
1: Yeah, no, no, that's certainly a concern. And, and again, I would think that, you know, well, the good thing is tonight's game, right? Tonight's game, you didn't see Toronto at any point. You know, this the, the worrying thing, and you know, r- related to what we first talked about, about Toronto this season, is they don't seem to be upset by losing. You know, outside of Caldwell, who does show some, you know, passion or some, uh, you know, anger, if something's happening, although the, the thing I noticed about Caldwell tonight is that he was very buddy-buddy with a lot of Chicago guys tonight, you know, almost having as much fun out there as, as caring about the victory or loss. And, you know, I imagine, and this is one of the reasons why I like the idea of Forlan when that was a rumor, I imagine if you bring in a player whose ambition is to succeed, he's not going to allow that to happen. And that that is also why... You know, some of the names that are being listed as potential DPs do become a concern because are they here because they want to prove something or are they here because they just want to check and, you know, when, you know don't care about anything else?
0: You know, kind of on, I think we've sort of touched on this a bit, but I, I think, you know, we're hitting that point where I want to wind it. I want to wind sure, it. Sure. And I want to get to that, this one of these last things that um, I just wanted to talk about because you kind of almost led into it or we almost let into it, and that's just about, yeah, you know what, this season is 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 almost done and dusted. There's one game left. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our overall feelings headed in this last game of the season, you know, you said, you know, what was this season about? It seems like a wasted season. You know, wh- is there any optimism that we can take from it? And, you know, what are the things that you think really need to happen, let's say, through the off season, so that <laughs> – shit, man, 2014 is something progressive?
1: Well, I think the first thing is is we need a sort of reality check, and we re- need to realize that we are one of the worst teams in the league, if not, or I guess DC United would be counted as the worst team, and not rely or not have high expectations for the players currently on the team. And I- I'm actually planning to write an article towards the end of the year or probably next week regarding this, But realistically, if you look at the current roster, you know, hopefully, in my opinion, there's only going to be 10 to 12 guys left by the end of the season. Um, I think a lot of people that people have decent expectation in or think can develop into something. You know, you have to take into account that these players have mostly played on losing teams throughout their career and, you know, don't really have a lot of upside um, um, in, in terms of them. Right. And and again, you know, when they have decent money because of the players they let go, they have this additional money through the trades and stuff they've done. Um, You know, they have these DPs to set the team around. You know, you basically have an offseason, hopefully a lot of transactions and, and bringing players in to make the team very exciting going into the new year.
0: That's something for sure that we've said here. And one thing I think, you know, always has to be kept in perspective is that when we're discussing these players, and it's kind of tricky because of how or who you lump into this but it's of course you know when you say so and so played so great or so and so is pretty good yes they're pretty good on the second or third worst team in the league and asking yourself truthfully you know would these guys ever see a minute on the top 4 or 5 teams in MLS mm-hmm. uh, most likely not and but then again there's some guys like a guy that I I'm always on the fence with Going back and forth, there's a guy like Bobby Convey, sure. where I ask to myself, you know, he's not he's not exactly, uh, you know, piling up the stats. Does that say more about the guys that are around him, or does that say something about him? You know, if we we know that Bobby Con when Bobby Convey's been on good teams, he's performed really well. Sure, sure. Well, you know, so where where does he fit into the whole whole thing? And of course, there's some guys. You know, you mentioned this too in terms of you know Toronto bo- starts to believe the hype of its own media. Uh, You know, guys like a Jonathan Osorio, who's had uh, statistically a very good season. But I think if we're brutally honest, you know, he could definitely deal with a year, uh, you know, under the wing of of a real seasoned veteran uh, midfielder, attacking midfielder. And if, you know, we hype this guy up too much, um, I'm worried that he might become a lost asset.
1: Well, yeah, and I, to be honest with you, in, in both contexts, in, in the Bobby Convey context, it relates to earlier in our conversation about what Chicago is, and I think what Chicago is, is a plenty of players at Bobby Convey's skill level, and reality is, is, if you can fit a Bobby Convey in your budget, he's a good player to have, because he is that, um, you know, you, hopefully he can play the complete season at that one position, so you don't have to worry about going into the future. Um, in terms of Azario, I am concerned. I think you know he's the example of a um, you know of a scorer of a point scorer on a bad basketball team where someone has to play, someone has to score. So if you give some guy an opportunity, he'll get results. Um, I'm concerned about Azario mainly through positioning, and I don't know on a good team if he would certainly get. I don't think he would get the minutes and the opportunities that he got this season. And the, the worrying thing is, if he plays next year, predominantly off the bench, scores one or two goals in the year, are people going to see him as a lost cause? Um, you know, the irony is, is just that, you know, when, with all the conversations regarding Becker and Welshman and stuff like that, you know, I, you know, I do have criticism of Becker. But I, I also think he, he equally has some potential. And it's basically how you can use your assets within your team and use them to your best ability.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean we and we know uh what Kyle Becker's strengths are, so it, it was a matter of, you know, would he get a chance? I mean, you I remember you said at the beginning of the year saying, you know, his strengths are set pieces. Yeah. So if you put him out there, are you going to are you going to give him the chance to do that? Are you going to hand that over to Well, we saw as the season went on, it would have ended up being Bobby Kommi for example, but at the start of the year, we were probably looking at Luis Silva.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that was, you know, that that was a question or something that you know, you would have asked and, and wanted to know if this was the way that this was the strategies we we're going to employ through the year. Or are they are these the ones that we're going to see developed in the near future?
1: Yeah. And the interesting thing, you know, I find about Becker is tonight's performance is what you were going to get out of Becker, right? He wasn't, um, you know, this is who he is, right? And so I find it interesting that, number one, they didn't play him as much as they did this season, knowing what he was. And number two, now that they know what he is, how they cannot adapt him into the team to make him useful. And that's the main purpose, right? One of the things that these successful teams in the MLS do, and in some sense, even the middle range teams, is they're able to slot players in to provide a particular asset to the team, even though they're not at the top end in terms of skill level.
0: Aaron, on that note, I think we should uh, we should wind this down. We've talked to talked based on pretty much... like a dozen things that I know that we've kind of you and I have talked about uh, over the weeks with this team at least since the last time we've been on Uh, and it's kind of I think at this point of the year it's like yeah you know let's talk about this loss for (laughs) as little time as possible and try to cover some broader topics and I think I think that's what we accomplished tonight I'm pretty happy with that but looking forward we have Montreal next week in the last game of the year and uh, I'm curious to think (laughs) Do you think uh, can you know can Toronto pull this off? Can is Montreal will, going into the postseason? I will put money
1: on Montreal winning about four nothing personally.
0: Whoa! I th- I think that
1: um, Chicago, I mean, sorry, Toronto and Nelson has hasn't shown me any change in terms of how the team is going to set up and the team is going to develop. And so I think you're going to get your typical stale response from Toronto. And I think Montreal's determined to win. So I think, based on those two parameters, I I think it's going to be a whitewash for Montreal next week.
0: Yeah, I think I think that that's a probably fair. Because my my question would, of course, would be, who's going to be hungry? Who's going to be hungry for this? And Montreal probably has the higher quality veterans that we've you know, of course, we've discussed in terms of the likes of a Davio. Sure. So I would be surprised. I would be surprised if or like even like a Patrice Bernier um, if they don't show up in that game.
1: Sure. And then again, and, and one of the reasons why I predict such a high score is, you know, if Montreal does what's expected and takes an early lead, you know, like, like how DC United lost to Toronto recently, you know, does Toronto just give up and realize it's the end of the season and there's no reason for them to come back. And, and so again, you know, in terms of, uh, which I do casually sometimes in terms of a betting thing, you know. In a lot of ways, this is probably a sure game for
0: Montreal. Well, then I guess we don't need to watch it, do we? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'll go do something else on Saturday. <laughs> well, I think, sure. anyways, that's a good way to, to wrap. I mean, there's. I think people are going to be at least excited and hopeful. I mean, Montreal is, of course, pretty much uh, our, our real our real rival, and of course, this is what we I guess would consider. Uh, a derby match for Toronto FC. So regardless of what happens, it's going to be emotional. Well, it's the, and, be and the, reality
1: is, the reality is if Toronto can pull out a victory or Toronto can show something, it will it will bring a lot of positives into the next season. Um, so, you know, yeah, no, I think it'll be an exciting game. And, and it's great, you know, as a Canadian soccer fan that we have this game in Canada next week and then it means actually something. So, you know, for that purpose, it's a good thing.
0: Right. And on that note, we'll be back after that game. I got to figure out I, I'm actually not going to be at the game. Total part-time supporter, but I can't get out of it. I'm pretty disappointed because I know there's some guys that I've talked to that I would want to see at the game. I've heard some big things about what might be going on with TIFOs and whatnot. So I would say, you know, as, as depressing as the season's been, if you have an, an inkling to go down to this game, I think you should uh and get down there early because I think some interesting things will go on. It'll be worth being at that game. Usually the last home games of the year for Toronto C, regardless of what they said, have been pretty good games. You know, that at least uh I will catch this. We'll be back next week for a podcast. And my plan is through the off season actually and through this fall is to probably, Aaron, I'd love to talk to you again sure. um, as we start hearing maybe more things about these DPs and whatnot and speak to some different people uh, about how the season went down, and things looking forward because we've made a lot of great, uh, you know, new contributors or meet, met some great new people that uh, I find their opinions really interesting, uh, yours included. So, Aaron, thanks a lot eh, for no coming problem. on no tonight.
1: Problem. Sure, no problem.
0: And uh, on that note, Aaron, you're at you're at ENB Sports on Twitter. Yes, that's correct. And if you do that, you'll see a link to his website and all that stuff. Uh, check him out, and of course, I'm at Clark Rno. You can catch me on Twitter as well as have your say at rednationonline.ca. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, we appreciate it a lot, and we'll catch you guys next week as the season ends. Thanks again for listening. Eastside Stand-Up is the only Toronto Sea specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to be involved. Reach out to us on Twitter through hashtag DSSU or at Red Nation Online. You can email us at have at Red or info at rednationonline. Get into the discussion on Toronto FC through Eastside Stand Up and Red Nation Online. I am.